turn to something else. <laughs> Just let it turn to something else, okay? Hello, hello, I'm Katie, and welcome to RetroMade, your pop culture rewind. Let's take another trip down memory lane. Today, we travel back to August of 1984 to discuss a military-style action thriller starring Patrick Swayze and many other familiar faces in Red Dawn. I'm delighted to have Dr. Darian Parker with me today. Dr. Parker is the co-owner of Epic Leisure Management the owner of Parker Personal Training, and the host of Dr. D's Social Network podcast. And I was actually even honored to guest on that podcast to talk all things 80s. Darian, thank you so much for joining me. Tell us more about you and your show. Well, thank you for having me, Katie. I really appreciate it. And I think we connected really well on my show because I have a segment every couple of weeks where it's called Arbiters of Bad Taste. It's actually just kind of a play. It's a good thing. Uh, about 80s movies that uh, may be obscure or that we just loved. It's a friend of mine when I do that as part of my podcast universe. And uh, it's just a good, fun time to talk about the movies that influenced us during the 80s and how that made us feel. And then actually how that kind of extrapolates to our current life. You know, when you watch a movie when you're 10, it's different than when you're like 40. (laughs) You get a lot different themes out of it. Clearly. And, and Red Dawn was one of those movies with that. But yeah, my podcast is just all over the place. Lots of different people, different walks of life. And uh, while I fitness is my profession, I like to do a lot of other things. And my podcast is just kind of my canvas for painting and understanding all the different things that happen in life. That is a really great way to put it. And I, I very much enjoy the variety that you have on your show. But I will say a particular note is the Arbiters of Bad Taste. That's great. So I hope everyone checks it out. (laughs) Let's get into that retro frame of mind, speaking of, by opening the time capsule from August 1984. So I have vague memories of some of these things because I was pretty small at the time, but it appears to be a huge season for your primetime soaps of the 80s wealth and excess that kind of seems to be what was happening at the time so according to nielsen ratings from the 83 to 84 season the top shows were dallas dynasty the a team simon and simon had you heard of simon and simon before yes i've heard of simon and simon i was a big a team person very much okay a team yeah, so Simon and Simon, you had been familiar with it. I was not. Yes, I was. I mean, I didn't watch much of it, but I, I was big A team. I was all about the A team because Mr. T was my guy. Back then, I was totally into that time period. And then the the soap operas. My mom watched all of those: Dynasty, Dallas, and I, I caught a few myself actually. There's a few more. So, like, I so for viewers that or listeners who don't know what Simon and Simon was, I didn't either. It was a crime drama show revolving around polar opposite Simon brothers that run a private investigating agency in San Diego during the 80s. And their contrasting approaches to, you know, how they approach things led to lots of personality conflicts and 
you know, I suppose comedy ensues. <laughs> yeah. But we also have, so the A-team then also Magnum P.I. Did you watch Magnum P.I.? Magnum P.I., Tom Selleck, for sure. Definitely check that out. <laughs> that mustache. And didn't he have a super cool car, too? Very super cool car. The, I think the mustache was like the big thing. Like yeah. this big bushy mustache. It's kind of like Tom Selleck's like signature look is that mustache. And everything he's done. You know. Yeah, agreed. It is his signature. The A-team I'm familiar with, but honestly, I don't know if I've seen an episode. But Mr. T will forever be Clubber Lang to me from the Rocky oh. series. You know? On, on my show, I reviewed Rocky Three. And we talked extensively about Clever Lang. And, uh, you know, maybe the most famous line of that movie, movie is, what's your prediction? Pain. Pain. Oh, it's so good. His one-liners are epic in that he's just got a presence, Mr. T. Yeah. Yes. Then there's also in the top primetime. So, yeah, all these all these soaps. Falcon Crest. Another soap. Kate, Kate and Allie was actually one of the few like sitcoms and i vaguely remember this with jane Curtin. did you watch that no this one escapes me i don't remember this one actually. it was like two single moms i think maybe they'd been divorced or perhaps widowed and they live together they share a house with them and their kids i i can sort of i feel like i watched it but i'm not describing it very well and i don't remember which jane Curtin was kate or Allie. Listeners, please tell me if you watched Kate and Allie. Then rounding out the top Nielsen-rated shows, Hotel. Had you heard of Hotel? Hotel? What's that? Oh. Yeah, it's another primetime show. This one, let's see, it was produced by Aaron Spelling. And okay. it's set in a fictitious San Francisco hotel following the activities of the guests and the lives of the staff. That actually kind of sounds interesting, but... I hadn't heard of it. No. I definitely never Lacey. heard of that, but Aaron Spelling has done a lot of... I actually just watched a, a show that was all about... It's like Dark Side of the 90s, and it was oh. all about like a lot of shows that came out under Aaron Spelling, and this one, Teens for TV. It was, it was a whole thing, but it just made me think of that. Yeah, he did a lot of teen dramas, like 90210 was the big one that I remember, yes. but yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. That's, yeah, that sounds it was a huge amount of them. Yeah, it's really good. It just takes you on the rewind machine. You're like, oh, mm -hmm. I didn't realize this was as big as it was. The party of five and all these things. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Aaron Spelling. Wow. Knott's Landing was yet another. I'd heard of that one at least, but I've never seen it. I mean, the vast majority of these are these primetime soaps. And this was a spinoff of Dallas, apparently. Centered around the lives of four married four married couples in an L.A. suburb. So 1983, big year for soap operas. <laughs> yeah, soap operas were huge. I mean, I, I remember my parents, my mom especially, watching all those different shows. I, I saw a few of them here and there, but it was definitely like, I remember it, even Knott's Landing. I remember that. As well, because my mom was so into that stuff. Yeah, because there was also, I, I feel like it was also the kind of the height of the daytime soap opera as well. So yes. I guess the housewives of the day got, got their fill of <laughs> soap operas. <laughs> That's right. Did you watch Saturday morning cartoons at this time? Yes, I was deeply into 
Voltron deeply into Voltron. And uh, I can remember Transformers was Saturday. Mm-hmm. This probably was Saturday too. And then there was like, gosh, I can't remember. It was like Silver Hawks, something like that. I, I mean, I was into a lot of different Saturday yeah. morning shows. It looks like the the ones for this particular season, some of the big ones was Snorks. I've heard of it, but I hadn't seen it. I'm pretty little, so Smurfs, of course, awesome. Yeah. Please tell me you liked the Smurfs. Yeah. I loved Smurfs. I was all over that. Yeah. Muppet Babies, Alvin and the Chipmunks. I remember yes. really liking that. Theodore and Simon, Bugs Bunny and the Roadrunner Show. And then on Sundays, the Captain Kangaroo. I've never seen Captain Kangaroo. Have you? I never watched it. I heard, I, I heard of it like you, but I definitely never watched it. Okay. And then midday, right up your alley, is there was a show just called Mr. T. I don't know if it was a cartoon or if really? it was like a live action. Yeah. Huh. This season. Well, I wonder why I didn't see that. Huh. Maybe, uh, maybe it didn't last that long. I don't know. Yeah. Who knows. Well, that is the thing. In doing this show, I have learned that especially cartoons, there, there were a lot of them that were run for one season. So oh, I see. Yeah. Selling us toys and stuff. Also, The Incredible Hulk. I yes. loved that show with Lou Ferrigno. Loved it. I watched it too. Most definitely. I I need to maybe try and find that. I have good memories of it. I wonder if it's actually good or not. You know what I mean? I'm not sure it's good. Honestly, yeah. thinking back, <laughs> I don't think it's good. I have to just, I watched some clips of it on YouTube not that long ago. And I was like, wow, this isn't that great. As an adult. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. I feel like that happens a fair amount when I revisit things. And then yeah. American Bandstand is another midday show in like around the early 80s did you watch that i did watch that yeah i was a big tv viewer i mean i couldn't get enough of tv you know i really liked tv too but i somehow missed american bandstand or were you like more into wrestling at like around this time all of it i feel like most of this stuff i was into like but the some of it like the hotel and this Mr. T, I'm like how did i miss that maybe it was just timing but it just came and went but a lot of the stuff you're mentioning, I'm like, oh, yeah, I was definitely, I definitely watched it, you know, at least a couple times. You know. Yep. For sure. So the top 10 billboards this week is, so August 10th, 1984. Do you have any guesses to August 1984, number one song? It's from a movie. I'd be shocked if you got it, but I thought maybe you'd have a guess. I have no clue. Literally no clue. Ghostbusters. Oh. From the Ghostbusters movie. It's wild that that song made it, like, it's a number one billboard. How did that happen? Who was the artist? Was it, like, Roy Parker Jr. or something like that? or Ray Parker Jr. Jr. Ray Parker Jr., yeah. Good memory. Good recall on that. Yeah. (laughs) But, I mean, I guess it was just big, but the song is terrible. I mean, I don't know. It's a stupid song. Yeah. It's there's nothing good about that song. It's it's great for the movie. But right. why would it be number one on a billboard? It's crazy. I feel like that happened a lot in the eighties too. Tons of stuff from the movies made it, 
you know, kind of crossed into the top music charts too. Like how many Kenny Loggins songs were That's on the billboards? A I know. Perfect example. Good call. Kenny Loggins. Yeah, I would never buy a Kenny Loggins album. Ever. But, but you know, he sold like crazy amounts yeah. of albums. It's unbelievable how many albums he sold. Yeah. And it is from movies. Yeah. From movies. Yeah. Like Top it's Gun and stuff. In. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He had one, I think, for Over the Top, too. Oh, great. I j we reviewed that movie. I know. I listened to Over it because I love it. Oh, man. I love it. Love that movie. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Okay, before we go down that rabbit hole, number two, <laughs> number two this week was Prince's When Doves Cry. That's Love valid. It. State of Shock by the Jacksons is number three. I can't picture mm. what this is. Yes. You know, I, I know the name. I think I would have to. There's a lot of bands during that time that I like didn't remember their like I hear the song and I'm mm -hmm. like, who actually what's the name of it? And just wacky names of stuff, you know. Tina Turner's What's Love Got to Do With It is number four. Oh, my God. That song oh, is so Tina. good. Oh, so Tina, good. Man, she just passed away not that long ago. I... Yeah, like last month or so. Yeah, she yeah. was an icon. Huge. Of the, of the 80s. And I did. A, she was one where when I, I talked about in the 1981 episode with MTV being born, she was one of those artists that really her career got a big resurgence by really you know, taking hold of the the video genre. And so she, in the 80s, yeah. she got a big resurgence. Big with Mad Max, too, I think, you know, was like another thing for Tina Turner. And yeah, good call. Another Hero. I mean, just just some big songs, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Elton John has the number five song with Sad Songs. Oh, mm. interesting. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why I can't picture that either. Then six is uh, Stuck on You by Lionel Richie. I was never a Lionel Richie per fan. I don't know what it is about him. That just that funny? sound is I'm going to say it isn't for me either. Honestly, my father-in-law literally loves Lionel Richie. And uh, weird story. He used to listen to it. He was a truck driver. And he used to listen to Lionel Richie all the time during his truck drives. But I honestly didn't think he could sing that well. I know this sounds bad, but I just I'm like, I don't know. It's this. I never liked dancing on the ceiling. I just, I just thought, eh, seems cheesy to me. Yeah, I same. Yeah, we're we're on the same page there. Yeah, I think he's kind of an overrated artist. In my I, opinion, I agree. A lot of people would disagree with that, but I, I never saw it. I never. Yeah, me neither. But I do, I do see Bruce Springsteen dancing in the dark, which is number seven. Okay. He had he was big in the early eighties. I feel like huge. Mm -hmm. Huge. Born to Run and, was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. That, I think it's Dancing in the Dark is the video with Courtney Cox coming up on stage, like kind of the beginning yeah. of her career. Number nine is Infatuation by Rod Stewart. And yeah. number, yeah, number 10 is Sunglasses at Night by Corey Hart. I hate this song. <laughs> yeah. I hate That's it. such a bad song, but it's so catchy. Like it the is. music and stuff. It's bad though. Yeah, it is bad. It's, yeah, catchy but bad in a bad way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so that yeah. rounds out the music. The news and events for August of 1984, there's a lot of Olympics stuff. So okay. I think it was in... This was in Los Angeles. LA, Los yeah. Angeles Olympics, yeah. So there's a fair number of records. Mary Lou Retton scores a 10. 
for her final vault to win the individual all-around competition in oh, yep, in LA and becomes the first American woman to win an Olympic gymnastics medal. Dude, really? Wow. I, why did it take that long? I don't know. <laughs> I didn't I don't think I realized that. That's cool. Huh. Carl Lewis wins. He's all over. Like Carl, he wins the yeah. 100 meter in 9.9 seconds which is the first of nine Olympic gold medals over three games. In this same games, yeah. he also wins gold for long jump, the 200 meter and the four by 100 meter relay. Carl Lewis, I actually remember in grade school hearing about him. Yeah. Like Love learning Carl about Lewis. him. I was, a, I was a college track and field athlete, so I know all about him. Yeah. And uh, that 84 Olympics was just amazing. And I remember thinking, I mean, I was really little, but I, I remember watching and thinking, man, what? As my, my parents loved watching it too. And I was so pumped when it came back to the United States in 1996, which was another great year, by the way. It was just an incredible year in Atlanta. And so yep. I, I kind of always have those bookends for me with that. I like that. The Olympics, I feel, I remember, I have vivid memories of it being such an event because there wasn't so much i guess there was only so many channels and it this overtook yeah. all of the like network channels and so yeah. as a world collectively we were watching the olympics and it's not as big of a deal it seems like now yeah i think people so, are distracted there's so yeah. many other things going on and it's kind of sad because it is you know these are athletes who toil on obscurity pretty much for most of the public and then this is their shot and it's really incredible i mean this past olympics i was pumped to watch like skateboarding and surfing and all these different things it's just you know getting exposed to things you don't see but it was big time tv viewing in the 80s the olympics mm -hmm. gigantic yeah i especially and i still do i really like the ice skating and the gymnastics portions of the olympics yeah yeah, yeah. Well, let's see. Also, August of 1984 is Prince's Purple Rain album goes number one. And, and it stays there for guess how many weeks? Oh, 30 weeks. Close. 24 weeks. That's, That's crazy. Incredible. That's actually. And what am I? Like half of the year. Albums. Half of the year. Yeah. He was at number one. Yeah. That's that's an incredible album. Love me some Prince. Indeed. Yeah. He's another huge icon. IBM also releases their PC DOS version 3.0, 84, high tech, baby. High tech, high tech. Pete Rose returns to the Cincinnati Reds as a player and manager. Yeah. I Were you a baseball that, fan? You do I was a huge that? baseball fan in the 80s. Not anymore, but I definitely remember that. And then obviously Pete knows is very... Pete Rose is very much known for gambling on baseball yep. and never being accepted into the Baseball Hall of Fame, the whole deal. So Pete Rose was very big at one point in the news. I remember hearing about that, but I don't recall him as a baseball player. I mean, I'm like three years old at this time, but I, does that happen? I, I guess I, the fact that he was a player and manager seemed of That doesn't happen. It's yeah. very rare. For something like that to happen, yeah. Richard Burton dies of a cerebral hemorrhage. At he was mm. only fifty-eight. 
And also Truman Capote dies of liver cancer at 59. So those two people died in August of 84. And then, so Red Dawn, the movie we're going to be covering, was the number three box office. It was number three at the box office for August of 1984. But some of the other really big movie releases at the box office was, of course, Ghostbusters. Yeah. Purple Rain. I kind of forgot that was a movie. I wasn't into that movie. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> I didn't think it was very good. <laughs> tightrope, which I don't know what that is. Do you know what tightrope? Tight what is that? Yeah, you're like you have you're like the encyclopedia of '80s movies. I thought maybe you'd know. Oh man, <laughs> yeah. I I just that is I don't know what that is. Who was in that? I mean, like... uh, oh, yeah. I should have looked. Uh, I should have looked that up, eh? But <laughs> it was like the number four at the box office this month. Wild. Yeah, The Karate Kid, which was a great movie of the 80s. Great movie, great movie. And then we have, I think, maybe one of your favorite movies, Revenge of the Nerds. Oh, my gosh. I mean, it's it's probably my my wife's favorite movie. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, my gosh. Like, Revenge of the Nerds. I mean, talk about super classic movie. I I mean, I have clients that still talk to me about that, like, during our sessions. They're like, quote. I was a big movie quoter. Like my mom always says, you and your brother, you just quote 80s movies and like stuff in movies. I'm like, there's just so many quotable lines from movies. In the 80s, but especially. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. and then rounding out like the top is Gremlins also. So August of 80s oh, had some man. huge movies. What a movie. I mean, it. I mean, I'm mixed on how the quality of the movie, but I, I remember as a child, I enjoyed it. You know, I think I rewatched it this Halloween. And I still thought it was pretty good. I think okay, I really still like that. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Rewatch it. Quite good. Okay, so today's movie that we're going to be covering is 1984's Red Dawn, which features our everyman. So my first season, if you're unaware, is about the everyman, Kurt Russell and Patrick Spacey. Do you have any thoughts or fandoms that you want to share about either one of them? Well, you know, I think that Patrick Swayze, one, definitely gone too soon. I mean, I was a big Swayze fan. Strangely enough, I wasn't that into Ghost. A lot of people love that movie. I don't know, something about it for me I wasn't that into, but a lot of his catalog was great all the way up through Tu Wong Fu. I mean, it's just like what range as an actor. Oh, just incredible range a very serious actor too Mm -hmm. very Mm -hmm. serious and very athletic like just could could do a lot of different things tough but also i think sensitive kind of the tough sensitive could be both that's why we love him that's why right he's great yes yes and and kurt russell amazing i mean kurt russell has done so many great movies i was just reading up about him very interesting guy Mm -hmm. very different type of guy yeah but uh, I just, I just, I can remember being a, a little kid and watching Big Trouble in Little China. I was really into that. Me too. Stayed from New York after the, I mean, that was well before me, but it's like, I watched that and I just thought it was like another like tough guy, funny, funny yeah, too, funny. could play funny, could mm-hmm. be like an overboard, could be so funny and endearing. And I just... Uh, they just, I think, two iconic actors of that time, just super iconic. And Red Dawn, I just think, is 
Swayze was amazing in that. And and probably I think of interest is I think it was Charlie Sheen's first movie too, maybe, or it one was, of the first yes, movies. It was, yeah. Yeah. So I love how you teed up that the both Patrick and Kurt are just like amazing actors. Yes. Do you think that they resemble each other at all? Not necessarily, but I have to tell you, this is kind of weird. My business partner for one of my businesses looks exactly like Kurt Russell. I'm talking exactly. He gets, he literally gets, every time someone meets him, they go, you literally look like Kurt Russell. Like the eyes, the structure, everything. Is he married? Can you fix me up? No, I'm just He he is not married, by the way. He is single. (laughs) But he literally has like his eyes and his structure. Like it's weird. Oh, that it's very freaky. Well, that's awesome. First of all, like a a real, like a real person uh, that looks so similar. Yeah. But you don't think they look alike? Yeah, you're men don't see it. But I I mean, I just think they have a very similar look in their bone structure and their hair and their builds and their every man, every person kind of a way. So, all right. These are your guys. I can sense there's an attraction there. There's these are these are these your guys. Yeah, but I put them together for more that, you know, I just I do think they both have that every man quality and they're both like very attractive, but not in a intimidating way, you know? I agree with that. Actually, you know, I think with like anybody for me, can I sit down and have a fun conversation, have a beer, cocktail with this person, whatever. Can I, can I, I feel like I could with those two, like it'd be fun. Like I could be in Roadhouse with uh, Patrick Swayze and I, he could be there standing at the bar. We could chat about whatever, you know, same thing with Kurt Russell, you know? Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. Other guests have mentioned like the, having a beer quality with about them. Yeah. So. Awesome. Well, we're about to get into the movie. Let's let's get into Red Dawn. Do you remember when you first saw it and then you just recently revisited it? I I yeah, would guess. For sure. I do remember watching it. I, I don't remember like exact moment in time when I what, during that time. I was like six or seven when that mm-hmm. when I came out. But I have a very vivid memory of just like the school, <laughs> you know, and then the beginning and stuff and and just the the intensity. I think as an adult, that's what I remember. I can verbalize now as an adult, but not as a child is like the intensity of the movie. I felt like the intensity and in many ways, it's a coming of age film and a political film and a, and war. But it's 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 just like. I remember like, wow, that would be weird. Like, that would be really strange, you know? Yeah, intense is definitely fits it for sure. And it's actually kind of fitting that we're covering. So listeners, Darian has is a recently, he's now a Coloradan and mm-hmm. I am too. And this movie is set in Colorado. So it's kind of a perfect that we're talking about. Isn't that about great? It. Yeah. So as I mentioned, this was released August 10th, 1984. It was rated PG-13, which was actually, this is the first movie to have that rating. I didn't know that. What? Yeah. Uh, That is crazy. First movie released with the MPAA PG-13 rating. Wow. Yeah. IMDb is a 6.3. The director is 
John Milius, who's known for Apocalypse Now and Conan the Barbarian. Great. And though huh. it, it totally makes sense. This movie has a it has that feel for sure. It really does. Yeah. And so John Milius, he's one of the writers on this. The other is Kevin Reynolds, who directed Waterworld and Robin Hood Prince of Thieves. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so he must be a Kevin Costner guy. Yeah, I'm not yeah. sure how I feel about those movies, honestly. <laughs> I remember, I do remember really <laughs> liking Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, but I haven't watched it in 30 years, so, yeah, you know, who yeah. knows. So the cast, we of course have our Patrick Swayze, um, and right. he's he's Jed Eckert. C. Thomas Howell plays Robert, and they there were four people in this movie that were also in The Outsiders. Oh, I love The Outsiders. That was 83. So just, yeah, yeah, like a little while later. C. Thomas Howell obviously was in The Outsiders. Leah Thompson plays Erica in this movie. And as you mentioned, this is Charlie Sheen's first role. And he plays Matt and he and Jed are brothers. So Charlie Sheen and Patrick Swayze are brothers in this movie. Darren Dalton plays Daryl. And he was also in The Outsiders. He played one of the Soches. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you recognized him or not. I did, yeah. Yeah. Jennifer Grey as Tony. And so there's lots of little little winding threads in this movie. So obviously, yeah. Patrick and Jennifer go on to star together <laughs> in Dirty Dancing. And no, he, classic. as I, yeah, I talked about in the Dirty Dancing episode, he really pushed for Jennifer to be in it, even though she didn't. Like, they must not have had the best time with each they other. They didn't like each other. Yeah. No, I watched a whole documentary on this. It was pretty um, contentious the whole mm-hmm. time. Yeah. And part of that is because Patrick stayed in character as this, like, yeah. militant yeah. leader of the teenage group. So he <laughs> acted sort of that way. And then I also read that John Milius, he gave the actors notes through Patrick Swayze. Like mm. to to give to the cast. So really? Patrick said that didn't make him very popular either. Mm. Yeah. You know, getting their direction directing Yikes. notes. Yeah. Uh let's see, who else do we have here? We have um Brad Savage plays Danny. He's not otherwise well known. Same with Doug Toby as Ardbar. Uh Ben Johnson plays Mr. Mason and mm. he apparently was like kind of a big deal in the stuntman and horse wrangling world. Hmm. And he was a double for stars such as John Wayne, oh. Gary Cooper, and James Stewart. Okay. And he actually won a supporting, he won an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor in 1971's The Last Picture Show. I didn't okay. recognize him, so I'm not, yeah, I've, yeah, I've not I seen The Last Picture Show. So, um, And then we have Harry Dean Stanton, who plays the Jed and Matt's brother, Mr. Eckert. Uh, he's super well. Um, let's see, like, he was in Pretty in Pink, Escape from New York, Alien, yeah. The Avengers, The Green Mile. And I most recently recognized him from, he's in the TV series Big Love. Did you watch that? Oh, Big Love. Yeah. 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 He was in that. Uh, then we have Ron O'Neill, who plays Bella. He's best known for Superfly. Powers <laughs> Booth. He's that colonel. The colonel, Air Force colonel that gets shot yeah. down. His name is Andy, but I don't really remember them saying mm. Andy. He's kind of known for playing bad guys. And so you all rem- like very much 
remember him. He won an Emmy for playing the cult leader Jim Jones. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. I, yeah, I wonder if it was that made-for-TV movie. But yeah. yeah, I can't imagine. Yeah, ha- I think it probably was. I just don't remember him doing that. Same. Like, a different. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. Then uh, Frank McRae, who I remember looking this up and seeing that he was in this movie and then watching it and being like, oh, he's in it. Like, I'm in it. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, Frank McRae's in that? I'm like, <laughs> he plays Mr. Teasdale at the be- the teacher at the oh, beginning. Oh, yeah. Okay. And the reason that I know that name so well is because he's been in several Sil- Sylvester Stallone movies, uh, including Rocky II. So I think he used to be a yeah. football player, too, if I if I recall correctly. It's crazy, the cast on this. Like, there's right? just so many vines and twisty turns of people. You're like, what? That person's in this? And then just incredible. Indeed. The, mu- the music was by, I'm probably going to pronounce this incorrectly, but Basel. Polidorus. Hmm. He is, I guess, known for his collaborations with John Milius, so that makes sense, okay. as well as Paul Verhoeven. Um, so, for example, Conan the Barbarian and Robocop, he also did those. Oh, man, Robocop. <laughs> <laughs> right? Crazy. Um, in terms of how successful this was, like uh, revenue-wise, I have two very different figures. One source okay. says seventy-eight million, and another source says thirty-eight million. So those are pretty—that's a big difference. Big, big difference, and the but on a seventeen million dollar budget. So either way, it made it doubled its money at least, but could yeah. potentially quadruple, depending on the source. So if if you listeners or viewers have not seen Red Dawn, or if it's been several decades <laughs> since you've yeah. seen it, uh. Here's a little synopsis. In the dawn of World War III, Soviet, Nicaraguan, and Cuban troops begin landing on the football field of a Colorado high school. In a few seconds, the paratroopers have attacked the school and sent a group of teenagers fleeing into the mountains. Armed only with hunting rifles, pistols, and bows and arrows, the teens struggle to survive the bitter winter and the Soviet KGB patrols hunting for them. Eventually, trouble arises when they kill a group of Soviet soldiers on patrol in the highlands. Soon they will wear, wage their own guerrilla warfare against the invading Soviet troops under the banner of the Wolverines. Wolverines. Overall thoughts or favorite scenes? Like, what's your overall impression? Oh, I'm going to tell you my favorite scene right off the bat here. Okay. Is towards the end, the end when the, the um, stings. And, you know, oh, it's so sad. And you, you know, it's like the enemy understood at that point. It was like, okay, well, we could kill these guys. And they just look at each other. And I thought, I don't know why when I was young, that like a younger child, that really hit me hard. And uh, as an adult now, I think this is kind of, this is what war and the, the emotion of war and the understanding on both sides that this is terrible. And there was some mercy there. I just remember that so much. Yeah, that's a really good. Um, because they're gonna die. Like they both yes. been shot, but he's yeah. letting them go. Bella, yeah. I think, is the colonel's name that let them go, like die yeah. in peace together. Uh, right off the bat, spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's like the end. <laughs> Jed, Jed, and Jed and Matt die, but they're together. Like they, yeah, yeah. and the. That colonel that lets them go, the mercy, the mercy that he shows them, he says, 
Viacondias to them. And that is also what Johnny Utah says to Patrick Swayze's character in Point That's Break. Right. In Point Break. Oh, yeah. Amazing. But they, I think, like, that scene always hit me. Um, I think overall, my just general thoughts about the movie, it was just, it felt very different to me during that time. I think so much of what I was watching during that time was not like that in depth. There was like some serious acting that was happening. A lot of the 80s movies are just kind of funny and dumb mm-hmm. and just kind of comedic. And this was serious. This is a serious, serious movie. Yeah. And I felt like the seriousness of it was a refreshing take for that time, I felt like. Of the opposite of like the excess and the wealth of those soap operas we were just talking about. Yes. There was something really that grabbed me about. And uh, there's others say I didn't like the Red Dawn remake, just so everyone knows. I wasn't that into it, man. I was going <laughs> to ask you Chris if you Hemsworth. saw it. I've I wasn't. I, I just it. watched it. No, okay. I didn't. I was like, eh, it's just. I don't like the reboots of things. I'm just like, can we just let it be what it was? You know, come on. I feel like everyone our age feels that same exact way. We don't want yeah. the reboots. Yeah. I don't want it at all. Mm-mm. <laughs> like, Mm-mm. No, I actually guessed it on a show. Another like 80s and 90s centered mm-hmm. show. The task was to find a good one. And we couldn't. We couldn't I don't think there it. is a good yeah. one. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so- uh, finding things that were made in the 80s that were reboot <laughs> of an older movie. Yeah. yeah. So it's crazy. Yeah. I very much, so my last episode was about Overboard, which is set in 1987. Yeah. So we were talking about fashion of the uh, and hairstyles of 87. So watching this again in the early 80s, it was such a stark difference to me to see how vastly different the fashion and hair was from the early to the late 80s. 80s was a crazy time for fashion. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it was just like all over the place. But uh, yeah, I think you, a lot of the fashion and hair was so represented in movies and different characters. Mm-hmm. I think <clears throat> different people like wore that better than others. Uh, but some people, I think their style was really defined by the 80s. Yeah. And uh, some people never left the 80s. Let's just put it that way. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Uh, Oh, my God. That is so true. So, oh, by the way, I this movie somehow missed me. My three year old self somehow missed this war torn movie. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, I actually hadn't seen it until yesterday. Wow. I know. I'm not sure. I mean, that's a different take. Yeah. Because. Like watching it when I, I probably ended up seeing it around seven, eight years old, right around that time. And then watching it, I've watched it a couple of times throughout my life. And I was just like, man, this is serious. I just kept thinking how serious this was. And also just, just the acting to me was excellent. It was just so good. And I just thought, man, this is like, you would be scared like that. Imagine you're a teenager and, you know, these people are just paratrooping, par- parachuting onto your wherever you're at you know you're in school i mean it's insane high school idea of it yeah 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 it was it was kind of hard for me to keep remembering like these kids are like they form their own little army it's like a militia almost yeah like basically yeah and it's very rambo-esque i took note of very very like they're camouflaging and using bows and arrows and like drinking deer blood and being up in the mountains yes 
Like it felt very Rambo-y to me. Yeah. You know, I can't remember. Maybe this is terrible. I can't remember where it was. Was it supposed to take place in Colorado in the film? I can't remember. Or was it somewhere else? Cal Calumet, Colorado okay. is where it's okay. set. It was actually filmed in New Mexico, though, but it is set oh, in Colorado. That's typical. Yeah. 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 I actually was <laughs> going to ask you, I very much took note of like the Arapahoe Forest sign because I've yeah. been in Colorado for a while. I noticed those things also. There was a bumper sticker, the native, which is like a huge thing in Colorado. It just is like a green bumper sticker that says native. Have you seen those around now that you're here? No, I haven't. I have not that. Um, but I have to feel like I need to, even after watching it recently again, I feel like like any movie, you always learn something the more you watch it. You do. Yeah. And I think like I just kept thinking like as a when I watched it when I was under 10, I didn't have like certain things I thought about. But now I think about like, how did these guys figure this stuff out? Yeah. <laughs> like how did they, it's like the survivalist, you know, like, I mean, you're in high school one second, the next you're out in the mountains. It's like, okay, if it was me, I would definitely it wouldn't be good. I'm telling you, it would not be good. No, <laughs> I was thinking the same because the girls are like part of the militia, like they're shooting yeah. automatic rifles and yeah. grenades and like full on. And I'm like, no, I would have. No, 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 I don't think me. so. <laughs> yeah, I, I've often joked with my friend group that I'm a, I would be the worst survivalist. I'd be I would offer myself up. <laughs> to be eaten like just shoot me and then you guys can like yeah like in an apocalypse you're done situation. early katie you're I, like yeah just yeah i'm done yeah just. i don't i don't want to live through that mm -mm. <laughs> he was like i'm not surviving i'm mm -mm. not gonna be uncomfortable it's just you know this is a sacrifice <laughs> yeah for sure but i so because i hadn't seen this before and i know it's Amelia's film yeah. uh so i shouldn't have been shocked i guess but so first like at first we're shown, we like open with this like beautiful, picturesque, like quaint, small town. Yeah. It's showing us adorable, like small town mountain living. But then we're like immediately hit with like the yeah. violence, you know. So I at first when I first I was like, oh, we're going to kind of ease in. But nope, it hits you immediately. Yeah. Yeah, it's very quick. That's that's what I thought the suddenness of it from this high school life boom right into survival yeah like it's mr not like you know mr teasdale sees the paratroopers out his classroom mm -hmm. window goes out to like ask what what the heck is going on before he can finish his sentence he gets shot and so that's yep. that's we're like oh wow okay it's all these um i feel like the 80s was very good at this of not telling you the whole story but you fill in the blanks yourself because there's mm -hmm. a question of like World War Three. How did they get here undetected like this? You know, and all this stuff is a different time. Whereas like today's movies, I think they want to give you a lot of background to like a lot of stuff. They want to explain to the viewer like you're an idiot that you would you wouldn't know what was going on. That is so, so true. Kind of, do you do you, you know? think we are idiots now, though? Like, do you think we are dumber <laughs> Good now? Question. In, um, is, do they have to spell it out for us nowadays? I don't think they have to. I just think that like movies are so long now that mm. they're like, okay, these are longer movies, so we'll add in a lot of background, which I don't mind. Background, if the story, this is just me, if the story is kind of more mythological and it has kind of this fantastical element, I kind of like that. But um, sometimes it's good just for you to imagine mm -hmm. like what what happened here. 
And I also think a lot of 80s movies were not focused on sequels. They were not focused on sequels. Mm -mm. It was like the effort was put into this one movie and let's wrap it in that yes. thing. Yes, which is better. If Much if it, better. If it happens to warrant a sequel, great, but don't plan. Right. Yeah, yeah. You're, that's a good call. Uh, yeah, to like kind of to your point about filling in the blanks, like this, it's like this is like this alternate U.S. history. Yes. And for me as a viewer now in 2023, an alternate future, like that's kind of what the movie, what I saw of the movie being, yeah. you know, so it's like, because we don't ever learn from our historical <laughs> So, yeah, like the propaganda over the loudspeakers, re-education yeah. camps, like using your friends and family to, you know, become a spy and like give up your friends and family. And let's see what else was there. Oh, just like firing squads, like making people firing dig their own squads. Oh, dig your own grave. And, yeah. Ooh. Yeah. So that's all in this movie. Like there's a lot. Yeah, there's definitely a lot. And I feel like. And you watch this movie and then you think of current times, you go, there's something strange about this feeling about mm -hmm. this movie. You yeah. Know, but, yeah. Almost kind of like, not that we're there or anything, but there's enough chatter where you think, why haven't we figured this out? <laughs> like, you know, I mean, I think, listen, the idea of an invading force invading the United States, that's a very different idea, uh, especially also, here's another thing. What well, happened in Ukraine, and the whole point is we don't want it to happen here. We though, don't want it to happen here. That's why we need to support them there. You know what I right. mean? Like, this very could happen. Like, that's why it it's could. so prescient. But what's interesting is if you think about the patriotism of this movie mm. and the connection is different than the patriotism of today, right? That patriotism like, of the different. 80s, it was a patriot was in a lot of movies in the 80s. Yeah, so like, yeah, yeah. The idea of a patriot is you don't talk bad about America. We're all together about America. Love America. Everybody, yes. no matter what you think, we're all in this together. We're Americans. Yes. The patriotism of today is a silo-based patriotism. It's very different. has nothing to do with that other. Place. No, it's oh, it's like kind of the opposite now. Yes. Yeah. It's opposite. Yeah. It's, yeah. Like, it's domestic um, individualism. Mm -hmm. In many ways. And it's not a united patriotism. It's, it's not. It's extremist patriotism. Extre very extreme. That is something about the 80s. The 80s were very America. Yeah. yeah but yeah. not like today. No. Yeah. No. Yeah, you're right. It has a, when somebody says that now, it has a different feel to it. Yeah. Right. When somebody flew the flag in the 80s, everybody felt connected to it. Proud yeah. Yeah. About it. Every, not today. It's it when someone does that or someone has gigantic, huge flag somewhere, your thoughts often go, maybe not everyone, they often go to like extreme patriotism, like extremist mm -hmm. patriotism that is crazy ideology and siloed. It doesn't Very you don't think so. of America, this country of land of liberty and you know, the fruited plant. You don't think of this beautiful music in the song. You just no. think these are psychos. Yeah. Like <laughs> like <laughs> Yeah, it's like we are the United States yes. of America. But yeah, yeah, now we're the divided states of America. <laughs> it just It's very different. Patriotism in the 80s is so much different. And very, this movie, I think, kind of personified that. You know? Very much. I actually took note of yet another bumper sticker. 
um, and I think this is very Melia-y. It there was a bumper sticker on somebody's car that says, "You can take my gun when you pry it from my cold dead hand." Yeah, and that's literally what happened. The Russian yes. guy, like the guy was dead, he killed him and took his gun. Yeah, yeah, I, I took a special note of that. I thought For that sure. was very interesting. But then I got to say, like, it was so scary and like this in this invasion. And there's re-education camps and people are be being shot. But then I guess the one there was two areas where I had a hard time wrapping my head around. One is that they seem to come and go freely from those the Mason households where yeah. they're they get the girl. That's the that's where the girls come from. They're the granddaughters are yeah. being hidden and they kind of keep them in the loop about like what's happening in the occupied area, give them food and weapons and stuff. They seem to just kind of go back and forth with no problem from that Mason's house. Yeah. And also they have like a leisurely talk with their dad through the fence at that. Yeah. Like yeah. Uh, there was no, I didn't feel like a sense of danger or urgency somehow in those no. two situations, which I feel like, there would be. Would it? Did you have any thoughts about that? No, I felt I felt very similar about it. There were some questionable things I thought, which actually happens in a lot of eighties movies. You're like, mm, was yeah, that yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, like, <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't. You know, it's the answer. Yeah, I think that just happens a lot in the eighties. And I was like, I chalked it up now to like, oh, this is eighties thing. Like, this is, hey, we have a limited runtime here. We're gonna skim through some of this stuff. <laughs> you know, it's like, but I also think it could also be part of the. The invasion part too. I think invaders and in anything are not also not always well run too, and I think that that is That's a true. theme that not always like, okay, this invasion happens. Whatever it is, sci-fi alien invasion, you think in your mind, or people invasion, human invasion. It's not always this well-oiled machine. There's a lot of things that are just not well done. So I think like if I wanted to argue that, I guess I could say, well, that's part of it. I just think it's an 80s thing. Yeah. Kind of thing. No, no, that, that's, yeah. a, that's a good way of explaining it for sure. Um, Jennifer Grey. So I always was hearing about her in this movie because she was also in Dirty Dancing with Patrick. Yeah. We don't see much of her in the no. movie. No. She Not plays Tony. She looks identical. I did note. So this is 83 Dirty Dancing or this is 84. I'm sorry. Dirty Dancing is 87. I thought she looked identical, especially her hair. Like she's insane. Yeah, I, I thought the hair was exactly the same. Yeah. It's that kind of like curly hair deal that she had. And then when she's all dirty and stuff and they're all like out there. And I was like, this just seems like if you watch those movies together, which I've done before, you're mm -hmm. like, oh, this could be like her just moving from one set to the yeah. next. You know? Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Talking about patriotism, like, the, like I have this weird like of the Soviet national anthem, the Soviet oh, really? national anthem. It's pretty actually. It is. And I, so no, it I recognized is. it in this movie immediately because of my bazillion viewings of Rocky four. Of course. It's, it's beautiful. It, it really <laughs> is a good song, but I'm like, Oh, I feel like I shouldn't like it. You know? I think it's just being objective about, you know, like, okay, like the melodies and things. I don't know the lyrics, but yeah, it's sweeping, beautiful, like, and mm -hmm. like, and actually in Rocky Four, it adds a lot of uh, beauty and intensity to the, um, 
when they're there and Drago Definitely. and Rocky and it's like this soaring, like boom thing, you know, like mm-hmm. incredible actually. Yeah. It's very effective. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it makes you less of a patriot or whatever. <laughs> okay. Or good. I don't even know what it is today. Yeah. And it's just like, I don't know. Now, I don't know if it was just the way that I watched it, but the, when they were speaking, I didn't have subtitles when they were speaking Russian or Spanish. Did you yeah. when you watched it? No, no. Okay. I didn't know if that was just the version I had. So that that's really interesting then. People didn't, we don't, unless you speak Russian and Spanish, yeah. there were several, like actual conversations, not just a few words, but actual yeah. conversations in a foreign language that were not subtitled for us. Would you I actually kind of like it that way. I mm-hmm. like it that way. Okay. Because if you want it to be reality, the people there would not know what they're saying. Really good point. And so for the audience, if you want to really make it feel like you're there and be immersed into it, you wouldn't know either. So Mm -hmm. knowing it almost means that you have a different, more intimate point of view than the actors did or whoever, you know, I just like, man, I want to be where they're at. I want to experience their version of it. And so not knowing it, I didn't, I never wanted to have that stuff on. Yeah, I really like that take. Good point. I guess uh, some good ones every now and then. Okay. Yeah, no, you're you're pretty solid. <laughs> um, the plaque at the end. I I don't know. I'm the ending, like the very end. I'm not sure yeah. what I wanted. So at the very end, again, spoiler alert: Erica and Danny are the only ones that make it to the free zone. Yeah, and then they learn that America that. We won the war and there's a plaque about their little teenage, how their little teenage army helped win the war. And that's kind of right. how the movie ends. What are your thoughts about that? I, you know, I wasn't that into it. Yeah. See, Actually, there's I something think, about I, it. I, I don't know. I feel like also too, like the eighties was about like, um, this is another, this is a big patriotism talk for like this into like Mm -hmm. but i feel like it was like america always wins we're the best yada 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 and i think sometimes a movie can be really effective when it doesn't play to that thing And i'm sure maybe if they did focus testing all that maybe that you know maybe they thought about it maybe this is something research but actually may have been more effective if america lost oh god that would have been probably more realistic yeah Um, like way darker i i it's darker yeah yeah Although Apocalypse Now is super dark, so... Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just think it would have been, like, maybe more effective, but I mean, maybe audiences would have hated it because, you know, especially, it's like, America wins, we're, the, we're everything, you know? But I think sometimes, even though I may not like that ending, like, personally, I may not like that ending, mm-hmm. but I think it may have been more jarring, mm-hmm. much like movie, uh, this not 80s, but like Mystic River, like in uh-huh. Sean Penn's character, like at the end at the parade and he's just smiling and it's just like, you want him to get caught. Why didn't he get caught? And that's that angst at the end. Even though I didn't like the ending, mm-hmm. it actually was, at least it was a different take. Better. on Better. Versus, it was like, yeah. hey, not everyone gets caught all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think in this, like you went really dark with the whole invasion and stuff. But what if America didn't win? I mean, it's just an, it's an alternate reality as it is. Why don't right. you just follow it through? Yeah. I there was something about it I I couldn't quite place what it was that I didn't like it but I I like your idea of yeah this whole thing is an alternate reality anyway yeah 
So uh, I have a feeling, though, that they did test it because um, I read in some trivia there were some other areas where they tested and changed it based on mm-hmm. test audiences. So I wonder if that's probably yeah. what happened. Hollywood, I bet that was. Hollywooded it up, you know? I think that's what it is. And I think that's one of the biggest problems with current movies is that, one, there's no original ideas. Two, yep. uh, I think the the movie studios have too much input and in the executives to the, you know, the, the tone. They over usurp the directors too much, it seems like. And then you get this very bad product. Yeah, it's funny, though, because it's like they're not the changes. What they're doing is to make it more profitable, not necessarily better. And yes. it shows it, it shows. shows. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I've never turned off more movies in my life than I have in this past decade. Yeah, agree. Uh, I like but the 80s. That was never, never a thing for me. Everything was like almost very individual. Mm-hmm. Lots of original programming and uh, just. Even if it was just the movie kind of bombed, it, it ended up becoming a cult classic. Later, it's so much. Later yeah. on, yeah. <laughs> like, but, like, I guess from the studio's mind, they're like, we don't care that it became a cult classic later. Like, we need our money now. We've yeah. got our shareholders, blah, blah, blah. Yes. Yes. That's the problem now is that most movies to me are just social media posts. Mm-hmm. They're just, they're not even like good movies. They're just like, well, we just put it out, you know, and like, and if this makes us a lot of money, we're going to do two or three more of them. Oh, yeah. I mean, how many Fast Five and Furious or six more. episodes can there be? And it's like 10, 11, 12 or something. Yeah. It's like, and you can just tell it's made. Like, this sounds bad. I love Sylvester Stallone. And talk about the 80s. I mean, like, amazing. But there's another Expendables movie coming out. I just saw the trailer. I'm like, yeah, this is one. clearly for money. Like, this is terrible. Well, <laughs> like, I don't think on. he's in it very much either. Oh, really? Yeah, I think he's passing wow. the torch to Jason Statham from the sounds oh, of it in this okay. movie. So, yeah, I mean, he is 77 years old, but still. I, man. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, I don't know. It's not, just like franchises don't need to be 20 pictures. You know, it's like, it's just, they I don't, don't get it. You know? They don't, but like there are, but I will defend there being six Rockies till, till I That's die. That's a bit different. You know? Though. I mean, I feel like it's a bit different because. Here's the thing, weird thing with Sly, though, is like uh, script writer and, mm, and the Rocky movies were so all good. about heart and emotion that happened to have boxing in them yeah. for that. And something has turned with this Expendables. There's no part of that in that writing. I don't know what it is. It's kind of like if somebody we talked about all these albums that came out mm-hmm. and things during the 80s. And I was just talking to my wife about this other night. What happens when someone becomes super rich, a big time celebrity, and their work starts suffering later in their career? It's like, well, okay, when you write Rambo and Rocky, you're trying to get on. You're so hungry to become noticed, and you, you, you pen your greatest work. But once you become wealthy and you have all these things, you have no trappings, like mostly everything's taken care of. What do you write about? What do the you produce? The worst thing that can happen to a writer become civilized right that's actually the worst thing that can happen to a fighter is you become right. civilized. that's from rocky three but yeah i, I mean it, the same applies right like yeah. they get very comfortable with where they are and they got it oh i yeah. gotta like maintain this level of wealth yes and lifestyle and they're not hungry anymore they're not hungry so you don't make movies that have a lot of substance and then and so it's like 
So then they reboot Red Dawn, which we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And they put in, okay, let's put Miles Teller in this role. He's Charlie Sheen's role. And let's put Chris Hemsworth in Patrick Swayze's role. And it just, the juice is not there. It's no, and those not. are both really good actors. Like, I, I like both Correct. of them. But Correct. I have zero desire to see the <laughs> 2012 Red Dawn. None. Don't watch so, it. It'll disappoint no. you. I promise you. <laughs> no, like, and it's funny, not funny, but the last, let's see. I've had this discussion with almost every episode that so there's a Dirty Dancing reboot in the works. No, uh, there's a yeah, mm -hmm. not a reboot, but like a sequel, which maybe wouldn't be as bad. There's Roadhouse is coming out sometime this year. There was a there was a Point Breaks reboot. Yeah, there was yeah, a, an no. Overboard remake. There was this Red Dawn one. Let's see. I feel like I'm probably forgetting one, but like they've. Oh, there was like a sequel to even Backdraft, and they're all terrible. Oh, really? All of the second versions were awful, apparently. Oh, I, I love Backdraft, too. Yeah. I never watched. I love Backdraft. So good. That was one of my first episodes, like the fourth one, maybe. So, yeah. Oh. All these remakes. I just um, think it's a problem, you know, as Red Dawn is like stands alone, mm -hmm. and um, it's it's those movies that is both uh, violent and poignant at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. That's Milius, I think. Like yes. That's his jam. Uh, I did. So there's a fair amount of trivia. So the point that we were just talking about, too, I also very much appreciate real graphics. Yes. And this this film contains no computer graphic effects, chroma key, composites or miniatures. All of the explosions are real and actual size. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. And uh my co-host on Arbiters of Bad Taste. This is a huge, huge pet peeve of his. He can't stand all the CGI and all the movies. Same. I hate and it. And I feel the same about it. It's one thing I love about Christopher Nolan. He does. He blows up real stuff in movies. And, like, he's very big into that. And uh, there's something about feeling like, man, they actually, it's actually cold out there. Like, we yeah. reviewed the movie Wind River. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the biggest things for us was like, they look cold, like it's actually cold there. It's uh, and it makes it I think it elevates the acting when the actors okay. are actually in the element cold. Uh, I don't know. I'm sure they're not hungry, but maybe make them a yeah. little hungry, maybe or something. But you a know? good actor can. Yeah. yeah. Well, Summon that's it or something. Yeah. The cold. Apparently, this was super cold. Patrick Swayze yeah. got frostbite during filming movie oh. uh he's a few years after this he said it still felt like someone shoving toothpick toothpicks up his fingernails when he got too cold because he yeah so freezing temperatures uh often well below zero fahrenheit and for the rest Whoa. of the world that's negative like negative 18 celsius 17.7 even dipping to negative 30 at times so it was very cold and that they, is impressive yeah. mm-hmm Wow. I'm really impressed by that. I, I know. I oh, I don't know. But Leah Thompson said that this was the best time that she's ever had on a movie. So despite it's being very cold, she had a blast making Even better, Leah, than Back to the Future? I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. Um, Interesting. The violence made the Guinness Book of World Records. Hmm. Most acts of violence in any film up to that time, it perhaps surpassed now, but up 
up until 1984, according to their calculations, 135 acts of violence per hour, which is 2.23 per minute. Did you feel like it felt like that? No. I didn't either. Definitely not. But I think John Wick has that beat in the first 10 minutes. <laughs> Probably, yeah. Like, <laughs> up until night, up until the time of the yeah. movie's making, it, it made the Guinness Book. <laughs> yeah. And like also to make them more, make everything feel more real, these actors all got real training from Green Berets. There was like an eight week mm. training course before the film started, which that's pretty intense. I appreciate that. I feel like Patrick. Yeah. Crazy probably reveled in that. Like, oh. it just seemed like he just loved intensity, you know? Does he and he'll, like, uh, I talk about him, like, everybody's probably sick of it, but, like, I talk about him in his book <laughs> all the time because he, like, he doesn't do anything halfway. If he's going to no. do something, he's going to do it well and master it, and he does, so. Yes, yeah. yes. He's a great dancer, right? I mean, like, yeah. I know, but he's, like, a classically trained dancer or something, if I remember. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like he was in professional dance companies in New York. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. He actually he had a great physique, and uh, was very athletic. Yeah. And um, again, there's just uh, rest in uh, just tragedy um, that he passed away so young. He, he had a lot more to give too. I felt like you know. So much. I know he was. Yeah. Oh man. Now speaking of, so he um, he died of pancreatic cancer, but so did Powers Booth and Ron O'Neill. So those what? three actors of this movie, all three of them passed from pancreatic cancer. That is crazy. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's a rough one, too. Yeah, it's pretty nasty. And um, it's pretty much a death sentence. It's been on, you know, when mm-hmm. they catch it. But usually the it's caught late in the stages of yeah. it normally. So that's the problem. Yeah. Oh, do you have any, do you know who was originally cast or who they yeah originally cast as jed no any guesses no no, ah man i feel like this is i'm thinking of the actors of the time because remember like with back to the future was eric stoltz before Mm -hmm. michael j fox i wonder if it was one of those type of things where it's like oh i know that guy but i don't know i actually don't know emilio estevez who's charlie sheen's actual brother brother. yeah yeah jed and matter brothers on the movie yeah Emilio was, yeah. uh, I, when I was watching this, um, man, those Estevez brothers sound the same. Yeah. Yeah. It's a strange universe because, like, uh, I was a big Charlie Sheen fan in the 80s, movies and stuff. And uh, and then I just recently watched a thing about, you know, when he went nuts for a little mm-hmm. while and he was talking about tiger blood and all that stuff. and. Yeah, he <laughs> was. He's strange. He, yeah, it is because I I think a lot of people really liked him as an '80s actor too. Yeah, and so it's it's unfortunate that he's seemingly tainted his legacy a little bit by. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was just end. a big fan. A lot of, like Platoon, mm-hmm. big Charlie uh, Sheen fan in Platoon, and actually, I've probably a movie a lot of people haven't seen. Men at Work. He was yeah. in that, and I thought he was well, awesome. And wasn't that with Emilio Estevez? Yeah, I, yeah, that was amazing. That yeah. was incredible. I don't know why. I, I don't think a lot of people have seen that movie. Like, but uh, I, I always thought, man, this is a good movie. <laughs> I, don't know. I remember liking it, but again, I think I yeah. only saw it the one time. Jennifer Grey in um, Ferris Bueller. Yeah, oh, classic, mm-hmm. classic. It's just weird to see these guys. Like, like I was recently watching. I think it was on. It was a TV show, but it was basically like he, Sackler, 
um, and, and the whole thing, Spuler. And, uh, and I was like, he looks so old. Like, why does he look so old? I just remember in Ferris Bueller's Day Off and the youthfulness of all of the characters in that. And it's weird to see your 80s favorite uh, actors be old, older people. Now, mm-hmm. like, you're like, this is strange, you know? It is. I don't like it. <laughs> no, I don't like it either. Yeah. I'm just like, and depending on how well they take care of themselves or not, it could be very rough mm-hmm. in the look, you know? Yeah. Actually, the guy who played Cameron was like 29 years old, though, when he played him. When he played oh, that's funny. But that's that was common back in the day, too. Like, yeah. straight up adult. Very playing. common. Actually, at 90210, all the people were not high schoolers they were all the way up to like 24 25 and then one of the characters was 29 yeah yeah for that so it's just weird they're like teen idols but they're like not teenagers uh, yeah grown people <laughs> very grown people playing teenagers yeah 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 um so we did we did talk about this being filmed in uh, new mexico and my love of patrick swayze so i remember reading a lot about this in in his book but he fell in love with New Mexico while filming this movie. And then later he and his wife purchased a 7,200 plus acre ranch. In Jeez, did he Mexico. consult with Val Kilmer about this? Another guy who loved, loves New Mexico. Oh, that's right. And he had a plane, like they had, he had a plane that they back and forth. Oh. Um, Cause he, he had his pilot's license. So yeah. Wow, I didn't know that he moved there too. I because New Mexico is very famous for Val Kilmer being there, and actually, I think Julia Roberts has been there too, or a couple other people. Oh, like, I, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, like love New Mexico. I feel like it's always like they love New Mexico or like Idaho, like mm-hmm. you know Sun Valley, Idaho, or something, or Aspen. It's like these are the places a lot of celebrities end up going if they're not in Hollywood. Yeah. You know? Yep. Or like one of their five houses. Yeah. 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 In New Mexico, honestly, I'm going to be purely honest here. I've been up. I've been through the entire state. Not a fan. <laughs> not, not a fan. Yeah. I'm not a fan either. But yeah, for I Sorry. mean, there are parts of it that are all right. But yeah, I don't particularly love. I guess I could see a ranch being really beautiful, but especially if you could still see the mountain. But yeah. like, um, I don't love like the Southwest look. Like all oh, the really? Adobe and stuff. Like that's not okay. my favorite look. I like more yeah. like mid-century like modern. Yeah. Mid yeah. Yeah. I like Santa Fe quite a bit, but that's about it. And uh the rest, I don't know, it's just not a pretty place in general to me. I, I don't know. But they they loved it. Apparently Swayze loved it that much. Seventy two hundred acres. That's a significant commitment. Yeah, because they were horse people. Like they really liked just like having all this land and you know there because he's like originally from texas and so yeah he's kind of that got that outdoorsiness to him as well yeah Yeah, that that actually makes a lot of sense with but see though i mean like this level of almost contradiction in a person is truly beautiful or like a ballet dancer like, from Texas. Yeah, ballet and, dancer yeah. from Texas, New Mexico, Hollywood icon, man's mm-hmm. man, whatever. Sensitive, strong. Like, there's very few humans made of that stuff that I I'm, see. I'm saying very few. he's he's right? spectacular. <laughs> you, you're you're all over this. I, I just am, find that's yeah. a very rare quality in a it person. Is. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. 
John Milius carried around a loaded pistol around set. I, wow, I don't think, he would, he I would don't, have been great today. He would have been. Uh, I don't. I don't like that. I would not feel comfortable no. if I was a cast member. Why did he? That. Did they say why he? It's just who he is. He's just like that guy. Oh, I guess like, he's, he's just one like of those a big. Guys. Yeah. I think he's like a real big gun guy. Oh, like I okay. I feel like maybe I read that. So he's all about. Like you're on a movie set. Him. What do you think is going to happen on the movie set? Like some rogue actor is going to tackle you or something? I don't know. <laughs> plus, plus it's like a movie set, so there's plenty of like weaponry. <laughs> Around. I know, like, I know, it's, yeah, whatever. <laughs> like, yeah, I, somewhere I saw, like, the CIA or, yeah, two CIA agents, actually, because of all the weapon, like, the tanks and everything, two CIA agents came to the set investing reports of Russian tanks in the area, and they were relieved <laughs> to find out that it was for a movie and, Dude, it's and a not movie. a real invasion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <It's like, laughs> Patrick Swayze's here, okay? Yes, <laughs> like Charlie Sheen. But like a lot of real military stuff, I was reading about like used the Wolverines, like used movie. Okay. Um, like during the 2022 Russian invasion of Ukraine, some abandoned Russian tanks in Ukraine were spray painted with Wolverines across wow. it in homage to the movie. And yeah, like that movie series. Yeah, <laughs> and then there was uh, let's see. The when they caught Saddam Hussein, the let's see, where was it? Red Dawn was the code name for the military operation that captured Saddam Hussein in 2003. Whoa. Wow, mm -hmm. I think the time period, like how movies influence people so much, like they just have, like, especially 80s movies, and I think also 90s, but. Especially 80s movies, there's just something about them that sticks to your ribs, and they're just so memorable. There's just like a time. I actually think the 80s is a time in life that is so unique in the history of humans. This sounds ridiculous, I know, but I just think- No, it doesn't like at all. I fully agree. I, right? I just think there's something very, there was a shift in the 80s culturally in the time that just, uh, I feel like the shift was so gigantic from the 80s to where we are now. I just felt like more fun, honestly. And I, I really think that the fact that things were like VHS, you had to go to the movies, you had to wait a long time before something came out. Sequels weren't a big thing. The, you know, the lack of the Internet. I'm actually really happy that I did not have the Internet during that time. I really feel like I just think is like. A lot of people who were without the Internet before it came along, you you have a special gift that people today will never attain. Like you have the ability to be bored, the ability to just That's see huge. life in a different way and to be patient about things. It's okay if your show doesn't come out the next day. <laughs> you know, it's like... Yeah, and that like dopamine hit of getting likes or yeah. whatever on your social media stuff, like yeah. having to deal with that teenager... Um, I am part of a, there is a, it is special so much so that there is a sub-generation dub that I'm, mm. so people born between 1977 and 1983. So the cusps, the yeah. cusp years of Gen X and millennial. Right. Our sub, uh, sub-generation is Zennial with a, with an X, Z yeah. or X-E-N-N-I-A-L. 
And, and they say it's so specific because we had a analog childhood. Mm-hmm. We grew up without the internet riding our bikes around, but then immediately as adults, we had the internet, like we had a digital adulthood Yeah, and that that's like very specific to, I'm technically a millennial, but I don't, I'm such an old soul. Like I yeah. much more, um, gravitate towards Gen X stuff. Yeah, I'm a definitely a Gen Xer, and in that, definitely in that little, I'm square in that. You're in the subgenre. Seventy-eight, sub- seventy-eight yeah, yeah. was when Me I was too. born, and uh, it's just a special time. We'll never get back. And if you were born in that time, you're around that time. You have a, you have a literally a superpower. Like you've that existed really in the birth of, of something. You, you, you existed during the birth of something that's cataclysmic to change humans forever, but you existed also in a time when none of that was available and you had to be resourceful. When you think about Gen X, what's the worst thing to say about Gen X? They were slackers. I mean, I'm not a slacker, but that was like the worst thing about the generation. Think about the generations after. They get punished constantly with all these terrible (laughs) negative things. Like It could be the worst. Millennials, you know, uh, Gen Z, these people get crushed constantly for all these negative things. The worst thing about us, we were slackers up here, or we were latchkey kids. You know, yeah. it's like, which, it which actually wasn't that bad. The, yeah. The, the, <laughs> it makes you resourceful. Yeah. Right. You actually had to figure out a lot of things on your own. You couldn't just look up this magical thing on a computer that told you everything. Like, you actually had to use your brain. Like, use your brain and, and be in silence be in boredom be like yes not being able to be bored was probably i feel like anybody who's i'm not even a parent but i feel like all the parents out there are like oh my god yes like children Mm -hmm. cannot not be entertained yeah oh completely like the other day i was making my daughter some food she's 12 and she said what are we going to do while we eat i said nothing we're going to look at each other we're going to (laughs) eat we're going to chat and she goes, really? We're not going to watch like a, sh- a show or movies? I said, no, you don't need to do that. Like, just, well, let's just talk. What are we going to talk about? I'm like, I don't know. We're just going to, why do we have to analyze this? Like, you know, why do we have to like... analyze this? <laughs> just, I don't know. Or like car rides. I so vividly, can you imagine? Yeah. I don't think children can even wrap their brains around going on like an eight hour car ride mm. somewhere without a device. We yes. looked out the window and counted cows we'll look and out stuff. The window. Yes. And we're like, look, look at that. We played road, like we made up games. You yes. Know? Yes. Resourcefulness, it serves you well in life. And uh, I just think that's to me the 80s, especially the mm-hmm. early to mid 80s. You're in a time period where the movies were just either terrible or amazing. But even if they're terrible, they became cult classics. And you just, you could actually watch something and you could remember the lines of the movie and you weren't distracted by other stuff happening. Like you're in front of that TV or you're at that movie theater. Think about it now. If you're at a movie theater now, you're thinking about like putting your hand in your pocket. What's text me? uh, These notifications, like, you know, all that stuff needs to just like remove it, remove that, pay attention. And, And then you really ingest the movie for that. So I actually think we have a huge advantage. A lot of other people and like, you know, like you learned, like remember talking on the phone. Sorry, oh people. Gosh. This is like, that's what you live for to go home and talk to someone on the phone, hoping that the line wasn't busy, you know, and that someone else, you know, it's just like, 
having to just talk to people. I had to teach my ta- daughter how to talk on the phone. We actually had a fake phone call just to like work on talking with each other. That's so crazy. Yeah. If you liked a person like a 12 year old back in the, you'd have to call their home. Yeah. Talk to their parent. Parents. And ask for that person. Can I please speak yeah. to whoever? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of like, like <laughs> a lot of little, little courageous moments sprinkled throughout there and riding your bike far away places. You know, now was it good? Like you didn't know where your kid was for like 10 hours in the day. That's not good. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> that, that probably wasn't Hopefully the best. Uh, but, you know, maybe they'll show up, you know, I mean, it's nicer now to have GPS and I know where my daughter is when she's out and stuff. But I just think it's a time that is may never, ever be replicated ever again. Thank goodness I'm part of that time period. I agree. You know what's like literally what emulates the vast change? Uh, so I just got home from a trip visiting a friend in Oregon. Great trip. She dropped me off. So I had like my phone was charging in her car. I get mm. all my bags. I go up to the desk to like check my bag in. Mm-hmm get my phone out to show them like my phone is and my phone's yeah. not my phone is in her car yeah charging and i'm like i about had a hard time i was like all so many things running through my head like how am i even gonna get once i get home i guess i'll have to figure out a taxi instead of uber yeah or, right and like how do i even contact her like going but i was like i i can't and i stood out there waiting for a while hoping she'd notice and mm-hmm. and then I was like, then it like occurred to me, like I, I had to accept that this is what's happening and just get all <laughs> yeah. my, just, okay, I still got to get on this. So I started to go through security and thankfully it's a small airport. So I kept an, yeah. a, an eye out, like the, I could still see the front door from security yeah. and I saw her. So I had just gone through security and I raced back, but I had a mini heart attack. Of course. And, but that is so definitive. Of like how my our phones are everything to us yeah. now. Yeah, exactly. And you just don't have to think that much. And this lack of thinking, it just makes me make it like the ultimate kids movies like The Goonies. And you think about the resourcefulness of the kids and, you know, all the stuff they did during it. Like that was me. That was my mm-hmm. that's why so many people love that movie, because it was literally most people's 80s childhood messing around, making up stuff, getting into trouble, riding bikes, you know, trying to figure out stuff to do while your parents are at work and all that. And uh, and Red Dawn in many ways is like the teenage version of that set in a wartime experience, you know. Good take. Really good take. That's so true. It's just different. Yeah. yeah. All your friends are there with you. You're trying to, you're try- you have to be resourceful. Imagine like how weird that movie would be with phones. No, like, uh, all the adventure movies of our childhood don't exist without. I mean, if there's no, it takes away all of the need for anything. If yeah, you have a phone, exactly. the problem is solved for you. It's solved. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. so I just think what a unique time in life. What Very. an incredible time in life. And what a great preparation. And I think it made for better adults. I'm just going to put it out there. It just made for better adults because you became an adult early when you grew up in this time. Oh, You had a lot of responsibility. Whereas now, a lot of the kids, their term adulting, they delay adulthood as long as possible because they're just coddled. 
and they they are fearful of responsibility versus like nothing was greater when you were 16 and you wanted to drive. Like that was like the driving force was independence, driving, finding out, getting out there, doing my own thing, hair, you I know, couldn't went wait going through to my be hair. An adult. Couldn't wait. It was like the it was yeah. the goal of your life to be able to drive and become an adult. Now it's like I would like to be chauffeured around. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I really don't want to like be responsible for stuff. Literally, I, I hear this all the time. You know? No, it's so true. And I wonder now, because I often wonder about how people back in the day, like in the 80s, someone would on a movie or TV show would be like 30, but they looked like they were 50. Yeah. And <laughs> similar, you know what I mean? And then when, you know, now obviously part of it's because I'm old now, but when I see a 30 year old now, they look like they're a baby still. They're very, yeah, young looking. So right. is it the delayed? Do you think that has any, is there a correlation there? I think that, uh, I think just like people look younger, older now. Just be, just uh, more of an understanding of um, people are taking much better care of themselves. And, and, and people who have means, I think, people who are, um, understand like we're coming online more about what it means to take care of yourself, self-care. And when like, you know, hey, people are drinking less alcohol, they're, they're having, they're eating much better. And, and, you know, there's obviously many exceptions to that, but mm -hmm. I just think like people are not like living hard the way they used to before. Mm -hmm. it's, it's like, okay, I'm going to get sleep. There was this whole thing in the 80s, 90s of like sleep when I die, you know, it's like this whole yeah. craziness. Now it's like, I need to get my seven to nine hours. Mm -hmm. You know, I need to have less stress in my life. And I think a lot of that 80s mentality was like, if you think about kind of this uh, Wall Street mentality, wealth, excess, work yourself to the bone just to become wealthy, you know, excess, 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 you know. Yeah, I, I hate, I despise. Also, I'm like a skeptic. Like I'm a very, I don't know, I see things. But yeah. like in the corporate, when uh, somebody who's interviewing me or I see it in their job posting, we work hard and play hard. I'm like, nope. Yeah. Like that is yeah. not for, like I I hate that term for some reason. It really yeah. icks me. Yeah, I think it's just a different. And I, I think you'll see humans will continue to look much younger at older ages throughout the course of that. People who are paying attention versus if you think about you see pictures of people in the uh early 1900s, they could say, oh, this person's 25. They look like they're 60. I mean, they look so old. Yes. It's because life was so, so hard. hard. It was yeah. so hard. Literally, it was survival every day. And I, that takes a toll on a person's uh, health health and wellness. And it's just people aren't living like that in, mm -hmm. in developed countries. And are. Mm -hmm. so, uh, so it's just really interesting to see. But I just think we're in a... Um, it, what a time. I'll talk about the 80s with anyone. And I know it's kind of a gadgety kind of period to a lot of people, but it's 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 actually one of the greatest decades in human history. That's not even a joke. Uh, it really is. I literally have a show called Retromade that is about the 80s and the 90s. But so yeah. I wholeheartedly agree. And I think a lot of people of our generation do, too. So, yeah, it's, yeah. I think just like the people who, you know, the greatest generation back in back in the day like they feel very similar about mm -hmm. how we feel about the 80s yeah um, exactly i 
I don't think that a lot of people today feel very similar about their generation, just from like my the conversations. Yeah, yeah. I, I think they just feel a lot of upheaval, leave a lot. They're getting screwed left and right with like the housing market and all these different things. Like, they mm -hmm. feel like this isn't that great. Whereas yeah. I never once thought that in the 80s. Never. Oh, and looking back, like, oh, that wasn't great. I was like, wow, that was really good. It mm -hmm. was like. Perfect. Well, so Red Dawn, as we've discussed, is a departure from the movies that Retromate has covered so far with Kurt and Patrick. So in a way, it was kind of a nice change of scenery. And I can never get too much Patrick Spacey. But... <laughs> I'd rather not remain in this version of 1984. So we must now return to present day reality until the next Retromade episode. Darian, it was a pleasure to talk with you about 1984 and the interesting journey that Red Dawn. Uh, do you have any closing thoughts or places where we can find you? Uh, well, definitely at uh, drdarianparker.com. Spell the doctor out. It's basically the main place you'll find anything me and closing thoughts uh just that um, if you're listening to this and uh you were not born in that time period and you're part of a newer generation of people i highly suggest you do what i do with my 12 year old daughter i've taken her back through all the 80s great 80s movies she knows almost every 80s movies we're talking about here and she always says i like 80s movies the best and she's 12 and I she's seen a bunch so of movies much. currently, too. But I said, hey, these, there's maybe not a better thing to introduce. Go watch Ghostbusters, okay? Right now, go watch Ghostbusters. Go watch Red Dawn, opposite type of movie. And I think you'll find there's a lot of heart. My buddy always says that the 80s movies have a lot of heart in mm. them. Feels so much heart in these movies. A lot of great actors and uh, lots of incredible themes that I think will make you think about your current life quite a bit. That is so well said. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you all for listening or watching. Do you follow Retromade on Facebook? If not, head on over and do so. And I would love for you to offer a rating and a review. And please keep those YouTube likes and comments coming. Until next time, be kind. Rewind. <laughs>